0: Hey, Marie, how's it going?
1: It's going good. How are you?
0: I am doing pretty well. What's going on with uh, Llama Life these days?
1: Well, I had a pretty good week this week. I've been coding, which is always my happy place. I'm (laughs) in the middle of designing and developing a new feature. So yeah, I've been doing other things as well. Like When I say it's coding week, coding week for me still is a combination of marketing, customer service business admin and coding. Right. I know a lot of people do coding week from Twitter or marketing week and they, it sounds like they're spending the whole week on it. But in reality, for me, it's sort of coding week still means I start coding at 3 p.m. The day is still full of doing other stuff. And then at 3 p.m., I'm like, okay, I'm going to go dark. I tell the person I work with, I go, I'm going dark. It's like <laughs> 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I'm just going to try and fit a few hours in, which usually goes into the evening a bit as well. But I don't mind that because it's quieter in the evening and I, for some reason, I like coding at night more. I don't know why. It's just easier. Yeah, I've been doing this new feature. It's the randomized task feature. The problem it's trying to solve is that people were having trouble starting a task. Like even if it's an easy task, like sometimes you just have a mental block. And a lot of people were requesting to randomize the features and we kind of... Put two and two together and realized it was because they just couldn't make the decision themselves so now what happens is you can press a button it'll kind of like shuffle the list a little bit like your to-do list it'll pick a task for you and say do you commit to working on this task for 10 minutes and it Mm -hmm. makes it really big like it takes up the screen so it's that's your sole focus when you say yes then it will start the llama life timer The thing about this feature is it's not incredibly complex from, you know, understanding what it does, but it is complex in terms of creating the right experience. So a lot of my time has been like rejigging, like how the animation works. What does it look like? What does it sound like? Do I feel anything when it shows me the task I need to work on? Like when I commit to it, it's so hard. Like the experience part is so hard. From a coding perspective, I've got lots of different options. I've coded like, so I I mainly code and design like straight in the browser. Like I change a color or add an animation. I just see how it works and decide if it feels good. I don't really use my like Figma or Sketch or anything much anymore. But yeah, all the codes there, I can make it do whatever I want, but it doesn't feel quite right yet. So, I've, mm-hmm. I'm at the point where, yeah, the coding's sort of there, but I'm playing with like, what if it does this or what if it does that? And that part's really tricky, but it's also <laughs> kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And we're playing with different sound effects as well. And some of them are just ridiculous. And we're like, is that too ridiculous? We want it to sound playful, but does it sound like silly? Or <laughs> And would it sound annoying? Because that's right. the other thing with sound like, someone's going to hear it over and over again. You better make sure it's not annoying or triggering.
0: Yeah, you have to find that like sweet spot. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been having a good week from that perspective. Nice. What about you? What have you been doing?
0: I've been focused on, well, there's a few things kind of going on. My progress is happening with the book. So I got all my editor notes back from my editor who did like all the like, I forget the different term, not line editing, but I think it's copy editing, but there's a little bit of developmental. Anyway, there's like a thousand additions and a thousand deletions, which was like a lot. When I first saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. But they were all like really small things for the most part, which was super helpful. So I took all of his, all the edits he did, and then I just like applied them and then printed it out. And that was sort of my first, like I I don't want to go through these one at a time. I want to see what it feels like with his like edits. And so I printed out the whole book with his edits sort of like applied and then read through it. Mm -hmm. And it was a very surreal experience because I was like reading through it and I was like, oh, this is like it's my writing. I can hear my voice, but it's like better. (laughs) It's like my own voice, but a better version of it, uh, which was a really cool experience. And then occasionally there would be something like, oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it like that or something like that. So Mm -hmm. there'd be like points where. And so I just sort of read through the whole my my whole book like that, and it just highlighted anything that I was like, oh that that's not quite right, or I would say this different, or like that's not a word I would use, so I don't want that. And you know, I want it to feel like something I would actually say.
1: It's sort of like the user experience. Like it, you're not going through like little tweaks here and there. You're trying to look holistically at the whole yeah. thing and does it feel better overall? Because oh my gosh, you could get into nitpicking. Like if you went through line by line, like this edit is good, this edit is bad. I agree with this or I agree. I don't agree with, he probably loves you for taking this approach because imagine (laughs) if you were quibbling over every single line in it.
0: Yeah. It would be so easy to get caught up in like every like, Oh, why did he change this? And why did he change that? He knows what he's doing. He's edited some like Mm -hmm. books that I've read before that are good. And so I trust him having a valuable opinion And so now I'm just going to read through it and see like what doesn't sound right to me that I would change back rather than, yeah, if I just went through every edit he did, it would be so easy to be like, why did you change this? What I said before was fine. And so I kind of took that out of the equation and then that's gone uh, really, really well. So that's been one kind of thing I'm focused on. Uh, Just, oh my gosh, I can feel, I want to get to that point where I can finally have like a pre-order page and a date of when I know it's going to come out. So I've been like doing that. And then the other thing, so we talked a... feels like it was like 6 months ago, but I guess it was only a couple months ago and we did an episode called uh, Newsletter as a Product. And so I've been thinking about that. I think it was episode oh, I looked it up and then I forgot. Uh episode 24. 24. I think. Yes, 24. And we were talking about how I had moved my newsletter over to Substack and then turned on paid subscriptions. And so I've been kind of like dealing with that. And it's been really an interesting experience the past like couple months or so, just figuring out what can I do to grow the newsletter more, um, you know, grow the paid subscriptions because I can't just like work on new features. It's like, how do you manage that? So the thing I've done so far is, so Substack has, they have several different ways of interacting with it or several different types of content you can create. So the basic one is like your post. And so that's like the newsletter that goes out. And so I create a post, you know, every Tuesday that goes out, that's the main newsletter. And then when people sign up for paid, I've added like a few additional ones that usually will go out on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes I'll do a reader Q and a, so I'll have people submit questions and then I'll sort of answer that. And then that'll be like it, like some of them will be available for free anybody to read. And then I'll have a few of the questions answered in sort of like a paid only section,
1: Mm -hmm. just like a SAS free versus paid.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm sort of, sort of like trying to get that so that you, you know, people enjoy the reader QA, they get a lot out of it. And then I wanna kind of tease so to try and get people to, yeah, upgrade to become a paid user of my SaaS newsletter or product, whatever you call it. Yeah. There's a second type of content you can create and it's really similar to a post in Substack, but it's called a thread. And the idea behind a thread is that it's like a much smaller post. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically you kind of proposing questions and then people would comment on it. So it's almost like you're creating a forum post. Mm-hmm. Um, it works very similarly to a regular like newsletter. So the distinction is kind of a little blurry because they're very similar. Like you
1: the- lost me a little so a bit. So because <laughs> I'm I do have Substack, but I haven't written on it for a long time. So a post is like a newsletter post, and yes. then a thread is like a smaller post. Yes. And then there's notes now as well,
0: and there's also chat. So let's oh, let's no. kind of okay, break okay. through all this. So yeah, they kind yeah of let's have, go through it. Go through it. And they've they've talked about it some. Like the staff is very like active um out there as well. And so they've talked about how they're sort of, it's sort of evolving in real time a little bit. So like yeah, so there's four kind of distinct things. Okay. Post and th- and thread are really really similar. So if you go if you log into if you have a Substack account as a creator. You log in, there's a button right there that says create, and or there's a title that says create, and then the first button is new post. The second button is new thread. Okay. So that type of thread right there, it's very, very similar to a post. The only real difference is that like your content window is smaller, and it mm-hmm. has like a little like icon next to it when it shows up on your page that sort of indicates it as a thread. Right. But other than that, it kind of functions very, very similar. It's just like it encourages you to write a shorter post that's meant to just like encourage people to chat and so or to <laughs> to comment on it like it's a forum post. Okay. But it appears like if you go to somebody's Substack posts and threads Show up sort of like the same thing, but a thread has a little like icon the next icon. to it so you can see it.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And then I'm in it
1: now, and then in chat
0: I'm- is like the third thing, and so they added that just like a couple of months ago, I believe. And chat is sort of like, ah, uh, how would you describe chat? So chat is like you can create a thread, which mm-hmm. is <laughs> the other thing's called thread. It's very confusing. There's so much overlap. So basically, in chat, like I would create a message. And then people could reply to it similarly, but it's in the app instead. And it's it does not show up as a post. So it's meant it's, as sort of like a more casual version. I'm not sure if I'm like describing this well. It's kind of difficult to differentiate.
1: I'm subscribed to your newsletter. Right. And I'm looking at a chat that you did. It looks just like a, it, it's not public, right? It's just for subscribers. And it looks just like a, <laughs> it looks just like an, like a message conversation you can reply to but it's threaded as well. So like if someone replies to a chat message, it's it's like iMessage where like you
0: Yes it goes into its yeah. own
1: thread. It's not it's not like the people are just posting and you totally get lost. It is still threaded. They all feel like the same kind of thing.
0: I know they're very, very similar. So the difference between like a thread and a chat is mostly just kind of where they show up on the site. Because a okay. thread shows up as if it's a post. And you can like, when you create a thread, you can have it email out to people. Whereas this chat is sort of like, kind of like you said, the interface looks kind of like iMessage and then so that I can post in there and then people reply in like a threaded view of that. It's a bit confusing.
1: Because you know, when say say you're in a Twitter DM, because I was going to say, is it like Twitter DMs? But it's not because with a Twitter DM, you could have a group chat, which is kind of like all your subscribers, that'd be the equivalent. But but you can't reply in a thread like whenever i reply to a twitter dm that was like a few posts like few messages ago i have to like copy and paste the message and i just yeah. do like a little arrow saying like i'm replying to this bit so it does feel it looks nicer than twitter dms and it obviously functions different but the funny thing is so i'm in it now and at the bottom of the chat it says click any thread to reply which is super confusing because now i'm thinking is this a thread yeah, <laughs> <laughs> They need to work on the, the way they're sort of presenting these features.
0: I think they're really going to kind of consolidate sort of some of these things because it is a bit confusing. You know what I'm thinking now? A better way to describe if you've used Slack, the chat functions as if like I'm the one person who can post a Slack message and then other people can only reply to my message and not create like a new one. That's sort of like how it works. And so all the conversation happens inside of like a threaded response to the one message I threw in the chat.
1: That's a good comparison, it is like Slack. It's a reply to a message.
0: And then now they've added Substack Notes, (laughs) which further kind of like, this is the big one though. This is the one that, you know, people are like, is this going to challenge Twitter? Is it meant to replace Twitter and all of that? And so the way like Substack Notes works, it's, I mean, I, so I got accepted or invited to the beta because I was a writer I believe they invited anyone, anybody that was considered quote unquote bestseller, which means that you have paid subscriptions turned on Mm -hmm. and you have a hundred or more people as a paid subscriber. So like everyone kind of got lumped in with that last week. And then, yeah, so it works. It's very similar to Twitter, but just sort of like integrated with Substack. So I can go and read somebody's Substack post and like select some text in it and then restack it, which is like a retweet. And then that'll post to Substack Notes, which is like their Twitter-like social network kind of product. Mm. Um, so I've been using it a lot as kind of a replacement for Twitter for the last like week or so, however long I've been in there. And I've been really enjoying it a lot. It's okay. it's different. It, it's very, because it has like all these Substack writers in there already, it has built in a bunch of content creators because Substack writers are already there. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it's got kind of this writerly vibe to it, which has been kind of interesting, much smaller than Twitter, but it's been, yeah, I've been really kind of enjoying it a lot. Have you messed with it at all?
1: I signed up for, so, cause I had the Substack from before I just logged into my account. And so mm-hmm. I do have notes, but I haven't posted anything. I've kind of liked a couple of notes here and there. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking like, as you were talking, it, it does look like a Twitter Clone with just different terms, like you said, retweet or restack. And it's a very familiar sort of social media type interface like with likes and comments and restacks. But I'm wondering like the writers on Substack, I wonder if like the dynamic or like the cadence in which you post something is quite different. So Twitter by default is just like you just post like a lot of stuff, right? It's sort of these micro Mm -hmm. posts all the time. But the people on Substack at the moment are – more, I would say content, sort of long form writers. Like typically when you do a post it's before it was like a blog post, right? You, you would spend right. time thinking about it, like crafting it. And it's something that you might edit a few times. It's not just a random thought that you go, I'm going to put it on, there's no friction whatsoever. So now these people who are writing these longer form articles, are they the same sorts of people that would suddenly just gravitate toward notes and say, now I have this other avenue for my random quick thoughts people who use it are they fundamentally different in the way they think about publishing content like is that going to affect it or is notes really just a twitter grab like hey you're on twitter before just come and post on notes now instead
0: yeah i'm not sure i mean i think a lot of the big writers on substack are on twitter as well and they post on twitter to sort of bring people over to their Substack a lot of times. They'll talk about stuff and then reference. Cause like I do that a lot. I I'll post stuff and I link to my Substack all the time on Twitter. Like that's sort of my biggest avenue for getting new subscribers is through posting on Twitter and then linking mm. to my Substack. And so because of that, I think the majority of writers, well, I don't know about the majority. I think a large chunk of the people that are writing on Substack are also used to doing it on social media. And so there is that. Long form content and also doing short form content, but like that said, the vibe there's definitely a different vibe kind of happening on Subsec Notes right now, and it's only been out like it went public just like a few days ago. Yeah, as yeah. we're recording this. So wait, and what's so so much the
1: vibe? Is it is it more relaxed or quality?
0: Well, I think like quality. I would say that like it feels a bit more. I, I mean, it's friendly, but part of that I think is because it's new. Mm. I don't know how many of the other social networks you've been trying. I've been kind of jumping around. Like I tried Blue Sky a little bit and it did not really vibe with me. It felt very like if (laughs) I don't want to like say anything negative about the people using it. But the vibe I got was like, oh, this is where like the cool kids are hanging out and they think they're real cool here. And it just (laughs) didn't feel very fun or inviting or friendly to me.
1: I haven't tried it yet. But
0: Substack Notes for me has felt very like, maybe because a lot of people there right now are writers, it was just very like positive, encouraging, and sort of like sharing other stuff. And it it's kind of figuring out like where, like what sort of stuff from Twitter to bring over. So I saw a lot less negativity in general, but that could also be my corner of Substack Notes.
1: I do wonder though, is it, if this has to do with size, because Mm -hmm. when you start a community and you know this is a community of of writers much smaller than Twitter and I kind of feel like okay well when you start a community you have much more control over how you want that community to feel and also the people that are in it obviously have an interest in keeping it in a certain vibe or a certain way and obviously design can factor into that too but I think a large part is just like who is there at the moment and how big is Mm. it. Obviously Twitter is much larger and I don't know. I think it gets things get out of control really quickly when it's so large. You can't, I mean, you can have rules and content moderation and all that stuff, but people still just say whatever they want, and it still gets posted before it gets taken down. Like mm-hmm. I do wonder if this is a size thing, but I, I agree. like I'm sort of scrolling through it now and it feels really civil and it feels really nice. And it feels like people are actually replying with quality comments because sometimes on Twitter you do get comments that are like, well, did this really add to the conversation? And sometimes I'm guilty of it too. Like I might just go, oh, that looks really cool. That's great. But like, if that's all the comments you get, it doesn't, it's not really that helpful. Like it doesn't add anything. Right. You know, you might as well just hit the like button then. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It just seems like good conversation. I I guess time will tell. It's so early. Like you said, it just came out a couple of days ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, from my, maybe I'm kind of jumping the gun and feeling this, but it feels like there's definitely a thing happening with Twitter and other social networks where they're like fragmenting. That was the word. Like it feels like it's kind of breaking apart a little bit at the seams. And I don't know if it was inevitable anyway, but like the Elon Musk situation seems to be accelerating it. Like I think people are much more open to seeking alternatives. Whereas like a year or so ago, like I never would have like really considered leaving Twitter. Mm. And now it's like, well maybe I won't be using Twitter in a year. Like I'm not going to quit tomorrow but maybe in a year I won't be using it anymore because some of these other networks, you know, maybe blue sky becomes less like the cool kids table. Like maybe that's the situation. Maybe it is Mastodon. I know a lot of people did move to Mastodon and love it. I still think it has too many barriers or maybe it will be Subsec notes, which I think is doing some really interesting things, but it feels like maybe that town square sort of vibe that Twitter has. Might just be going away. And personally, I am pretty sad about that Mm. because one of the things I love about Twitter is like, I follow people from totally different areas of interest to me. Like, I don't want to go to a place that's like, oh, this is my social network for only hanging out with my dev friends. Like, I love that on Twitter, I follow people that are, you know, ADHD and neurodivergent. Mm. Like, I have that community. There, that's probably my biggest community. But then there's also like the dev people and the SaaS people. And then there's like video games that I'm really interested in. So I follow people for that sort of stuff. And then I'm like really into Seattle sports. So I follow people that talk about like what's happening with the Seahawks and the Mariners. Mm -hmm. And there's like all these kind of different walks of life. And I love that they all sort of mix together with my kind of curated following because it allows me sort of this one place place. to, to kind of find all of that. And it allows for discovery. Like I think if that town square didn't exist, I think a lot less people would have found my ADHD content because they wouldn't have been seeking out an ADHD community because they didn't know that they had ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so there's, I think that sort of thing that happens too. Like there's discovery that happens in that town square sort of thing. I just don't know how long it's going to exist. It just feels like it's starting to fragment piece by piece.
1: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think the size of it has an advantage as well mm-hmm. in that it's so diverse and there's so many different communities that you could find within it. I do think that it's super important to find a community because so my community is mostly sort of indie indie hackers, indie devs, people building products. I do follow some people with ADHD accounts as well because obviously I have ADHD. But every time I go outside the community – like say I stumble outside, I can really feel it, mm, that mm-hmm. horrible place. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of scary. Like you know when you've stepped outside and, and we, we've talked about this in a previous episode with the For You tab on yeah. Twitter. Like suddenly you can be just a few clicks away from not your usual community, which I get from a discovery standpoint. They're trying to just see like what do you like? Can we tempt you to follow something else or – exposed to something else but I'm like I don't want that I don't want to I just want to stay within my little group because the people I follow and interact with like are all super nice and I kind of want to keep it that way so I think Twitter can be good but you have to heavily curate your community and who you follow and stuff and maybe it's like that with a lot of things that are big like if you just you just need to introduce like your own constraints on it and it and it works nicely but if you wanted more you can choose to step outside or search for a particular topic, but that's your choice. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that Substack did notes. Like I think it's good to have competition. It could encourage Twitter to do other things or maybe, you know, not be so erratic, (laughs) be a bit more focused, but I still really like Twitter and I I want Twitter to succeed. I'm not a fan of the ups and downs though. Like I'm not a fan of like waking up and suddenly something's changed because someone made Mm -hmm. a comment and it's, you know, that, that kind of thing I think can be avoided but I really do want Twitter to succeed. But I will check out Substack Notes as well because it, you know, like I said, competition's good and maybe it will spark <laughs> some new ideas. Maybe we revisit this in like a month or something because it's so so new still.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a great idea because I'm really curious to see where it goes. I think there's a lot of promise right now. And one of the things we didn't really talk about, but like Substack Notes is because it's based on like the uh, subscriptions, like being subscribed to newsletters and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's a very, like your feed is a lot more there's not an algorithm trying to tell you what is, you know, like the for you page on Twitter or something. It's Mm -hmm. a lot more about like people you're specifically subscribing to rather than just like shoving the high engagement stuff in your face, which, you know, usually ends up being controversial stuff. I feel like there's sort of like this divide and Twitter's sort of in the middle where there's things like subsect notes, which is like leaning into subscription based and sort of like very curated specifically, like you're choosing what you follow Versus on the other side of the spectrum, like TikTok, which is just like all algorithm. Like it's just Mm -hmm. non, like the only thing you're seeing really is what the algorithm thinks you should see. And there's sort of like this divide happening and Twitter's sort of in the middle.
1: Yeah. So with Twitter, (laughs) it's to drive basically eyeballs to advertising because that's their model, right?
0: Right. Like the algorithm is all about the advertising. Exactly.
1: Except you sent me something a couple of days back where you had this graph where Twitter ad revenue had just tanked like it was showing over the years, like the last five years, and it was mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. bad now. And yeah, I guess it's, oh, such it's a,
0: looking really it's yeah. Not I, looking don't great. Future, <laughs> I don't know what the future I don't know what the future is Twitter is. It just looks real rough. I feel like if Twitter is gonna survive, it feels like there's just so much trust lost and it's all associated with Elon Musk because of the changes he's been making. And I feel like for Twitter to survive Elon's going to have to sell it to someone and probably take a huge loss because he way overpaid for it. Or it's just going to keep like, that number is just going to keep dropping mm. and it's not going to work out. So I I don't know. I'm, who, who knows space. what's going to happen? Watch yeah. this space. Yeah, I think that's really, it'll be fun to talk again in a couple months and when we have a much better perspective of what happened with things like Blue Sky and Substack Notes and uh, things like that. So yeah.
1: Cool. It sounds like a good place to wrap up. What's happening next week?
0: I will be on a work trip, so I we won't be recording next week, but I will be working a lot on my book. And then hopefully by the time we get back the following week, I will have submitted my book for like final line editing and all of that. Yeah, how about you? What will you be doing for the next couple weeks, I guess?
1: Obviously, I want to launch this feature. We've been doing a lot more on partnerships, which I won't get into now because it's probably a whole conversation on its own. Maybe in a couple of weeks, it's a good time to do that. But we've been really trying to figure out, you know, what channels work for us from a marketing perspective and making sure it's a good fit for the person we're working with as well. Like we really want it to be a good fit. It's got to be a win-win on both sides, but that's been Mm -hmm. helping us a lot. Like it's, it's night and day when you, you actually find the right audience. It just feels a lot more effortless. I mean, there's still effort involved, but it's just so much easier. We've done so many experiments that we can really see like what that fit looks like. So yeah, I can talk about that in a couple of weeks when we're we're back. But um, yeah, I think next week is really just, it's still a lot of coding for me. I want to get this feature right and I want to get it out the door. And when I say right, we're not trying to perfect every single bit. So we're still going to launch it in stages. So we have like, here's going to be MVP or version one of this feature and we'll evolve it. But the first version like it still has to do the core thing, which is make you want to do the task. So it's still, we can talk about this on another episode too, but there's so many different versions of like, what do you mean by MVP? There's so many ways you can talk about that. But, But yeah, so we're still doing it in stages, but we still, we haven't cracked like the first stage. So that will be next week.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. See
1: you then.